Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm your host, Brad, and I'm a beggar who found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, and I want others to know where they may find this bread, that they too may experience the blessings that come through partaking of it. Blessings in this life and in the kingdom which is to come. Hallelujah. This episode, Curses. You can credit the multi-talented, underappreciated Steve Taylor for the title to this episode. Visionary musician, entertainer, and director, film director, Steve Taylor. Yeah. Early in his music career, Taylor's sound was very new wave punk, late 80s stuff. But he expanded into a very eclectic sound. His Squint album from the early 90s remains... One of my favorites, um, actually my favorite of his, no doubt. And he's put out a few albums since then that are that I appreciate and that are good. But Squint is the one that gets the most play from me. He also actually directs movies, as I said, and most notably, Blue Like Jazz, which I do recommend. It's based on a true story, and I'm not going to give that story away. Uh, I just encourage you, look into it, read the book if you would like, and then go give it a watch. Now, Steve Taylor sometimes uses some pretty abstract and very provocative language in his music to get people to contemplate their faith. And I super appreciate that. And you, you'll you hear a song called Sock Heaven, and you might think, well, that was kind of weird. But when you listen to it and pay attention to the lyrics, at the core of the song is actually Taylor's autobiography and his own journey in his faith, which is pretty cool. Anyway, it's not about the music, the movies, or the laundry for that matter. It's about the message, curses. I'd like to take a look at a couple of curses that are mentioned in the scriptures. And to clarify here, I'm not discussing salty language or profanity, and nor am I discussing curses being placed on someone by another person. I want to take a look at a couple of curses the Apostle Paul mentions in his letter to the Galatians. In my opinion, and that of many others, Galatians is perhaps Paul's most difficult to understand. And it has been the most misunderstood and misused of his writings to the great detriment of the body of Messiah and to the detriment of the furtherance of the gospel. I will say that a great resource to gain better understanding of Galatians is Daniel Lancaster's book, The Holy Epistle to the Galatians. He brings to light much which is missed and avoided by many evangelicals. And that's a problem which continues to grow as biblical literacy declines more and more. So we're going to start. We will take a look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. For all who rely on the deeds of Torah are under a curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not keep doing everything written in the scroll of the Torah. So is the Apostle Paul here warning people that if you try to observe and obey the law, the Torah of God, that you are placing yourself under a curse? 
Well, unfortunately, that is a common understanding by many in modern Western Christianity, that if you try to obey one thing of the Torah, you're placing yourself under a curse. Why are you, why are you observing the Sabbath? Why do you eat clean? You're putting yourself under a curse. Why would you do that to yourself? You're never going to be able to be saved when you do that. Now, some might only go so far as to say, well, Paul's talking about relying on works of the law for your salvation, and that is a curse. Well, I'd say that's a little closer, and it's a whole lot less dangerous than the first example, and, you know, less heresy there, too. Um, But I do believe that the uh, actual explanation goes even further than that. I think that the uh, relying on works of the law for your salvation, again, it comes close, but I believe even that falls short of what the Apostle Paul is actually conveying in this letter. And first of all, to say that trying to obey in any point the Torah of God places you under a curse, really give that good hard thought, because it makes absolutely no sense. It is actually where replacement theology is reinforced, and it's where people like Luther and those who were before him and many who came since him have determined the Jews are an accursed people and an accursed nation. God forbid it. Also, we have to recognize this. If Paul is saying you're cursed for trying to obey the Torah, he is in fact putting himself under this curse. Paul is a Jew of Jews, and he makes sure people know that he is Torah observant. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee for crying out loud. He never denounces any of those things. His Jewishness, his Torah observancy, his Pharisaism. He doesn't denounce any of those things, but he does say none of those things are where he puts his hope. His hope is in the Messiah Yeshua and his relationship to God through him. To say that to try to obey the law puts one under a curse is to say, if you do not lie, If you do not steal, you have put yourself under the law. And thus, you have put yourself under a curse because you're now trying to obey the commands of God. And because you obeyed that one law, you you honored your mother and father. So now you're under a curse? Huh? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. And I hope that you can see the irreconcilable conflict in that understanding. It does not compute at all. So that is definitely not what Paul is talking about here. Not at all. And of this, I have absolute confidence. Context, as we have said frequently, is always important. So who is the audience to this letter? Well, it says in chapter 1 and verse 2 that it is to Messiah's communities of Galatia. Now, Galatia was one of the cities that still had a fair amount of Jews in it. They were 
they were dispersed all over the place from Israel. And so this was one of the cities, Galatia, where there were still a good amount of Jews. Places like Ephesus, eh, not so much. So in Galatia, there are three primary groups. You had natural-born Jews, which are legal or halakhic Jews. Natural-born Jews, and Paul often calls these brothers, as they are his brothers in the flesh. Then you had proselytes. These are Gentiles who at some point in their lives went through the conversion process to become Jewish. Paul refers to these as sons of Abraham. And this was a common practice because those who were Gentiles coming into the Jewish faith did not have legal Jewish last names and they could not use their Gentile names if they are now a Jew. So they would be called sons and daughters of Abraham. If your name was John Smith and and you were proselytized and you became Jewish, you then became known as Yohanan ben Avrahim, John, the son of Abraham. So that's the second group, those who were proselytes. The third group are the God-fearers. And these are Gentile believers in the God of Israel who have not undergone proselytization. They were either waiting to do so, considering becoming proselytes, or content to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Gentiles, which is what Paul encourages them to do. And the God-fearers, probably the most well-known of the God-fearers is found in Acts chapter 10, and that is Cornelius. He and his family were God-fearers. They were Gentiles to whom the apostle Peter went if you recall. So the phrase we see frequently in the letter to the Galatians, and of these three groups, there were many. There were Jews, uh, legal Jews, there were proselytes, and there were God-fearers who had all come to faith in Yeshua as the Messiah. And so we, we will see frequently in the letter to the Galatians this phrase, works of the law or deeds of the Torah. And it is a term Paul used frequently in describing the proselyting of people to become Jewish or those, those commands and, and Many of them were traditions of men that identified people as Jewish. And so he refers to those as deeds of the Torah, works of the law. And throughout this letter, when we see these types of references, we need to grasp that Paul is being very specific in his statement regarding and this is again is regarding the conversion process to becoming Jewish is a very narrow definition that he is using when he uses those phrases deeds of the Torah works of the law when we see those the legal natural Jews and the proselytes even those who were following Yeshua HaMashiach Jesus the Messiah 
They put their hope in their Jewishness. Paul was opposing this doctrine, and they were trying to force others into the process. When Gentiles would would start to come to faith, they wanted them to go through the proselytization process. Now again, Paul was opposing this doctrine, and he was trying to stop people from forcing others to do these things. Paul says in this verse, in verse 10, that scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not keep doing everything written in the scroll of the Torah. So, he's quoting another scripture, which means, of course, he's not coming up with something new. He isn't making some new thing up. He is quoting the Torah itself. So, why would he quote the Torah if his goal was to get people to stop observing the Torah? He wasn't trying to do that. He was reminding them of what has always been. So let's take a look at that passage, the passage that he is quoting. It is in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26. Cursed is the one who does not uphold the words of this Torah by doing them. Then all the people are to say, Amen. That's Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. It's the last verse in Deuteronomy 27. So who is cursed? The one who does not obey. Not the one who tries to observe them. The one who doesn't. This again, that's the last verse of chapter 27, and it flows right into chapter 28, which describes the blessings of obedience and adhering to the Torah and the curses to those who commit covenant infidelity, who break them, who become lawless by not observing the law. So Paul is pointing out what has always been true. Whether you are a Jew naturally or by conversion, the blessings and curses still exist. Your confidence in the deeds of the flesh, specifically your Jewishness, it is a trap. You're putting your confidence and faith in that, and that is a trap. You see, their faith was in this institutional status. They did not believe in salvation by works of the uh, of the law by obeying the law the torah of god to earn salvation they didn't believe in that they also did not believe in salvation by faith they believed in salvation by the status of being a jew that is paul's big problem here they're putting they're putting all their faith in that all their eggs in that basket and they're forgetting the rest of the torah You cannot put your faith in being a Jew. God's Torah is still his Torah. And the curses for disobedience, they remain. The modern parallel to this in in today's church is those who say, well, I, I was, you know, I was once baptized. How I live is inconsequential. I was baptized and hey, I even I even took the Eucharist communion. So based on this, I'm in. That's what they told me at the church. So I'm in. Or I go to church every Sunday. So clearly I'm in. All this stuff, this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. And why does he call it that? Because in it, 
There is no cost for discipleship. And Yeshua told people to count the cost of following him. Cheap grace is I do one thing. I become a part of this club. I, I, I give a donation every now and then. I pay my dues and boom, I'm on my way, man. I'm going to the kingdom. It's like the, the person who raises their hand for an altar call and says a sinner's prayer and is declared now on his way to heaven. And then goes on living a life just like he did before. No change, but no worries. I'm in. I did the thing, man. Placing faith and trust in one's institutional status or a one-time act is not following the Messiah, Yeshua. And this is exactly what Paul is confronting in Galatia. Many of the natural Jews and especially the proselytes, I mean, think about the proselytes, right? They were Gentiles who went through ritual conversion to become Jewish, including circumcision. And now Paul is saying, hey, it's not necessary to be a Jew to experience God's salvation through the Messiah, Yeshua. I imagine that some of those proselytes were, hey, hold on a minute. No, uh, uh, no, 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 no. We got cut. We were required to get cut. They need to get cut too to be a part of this. That they need to get cut too to get to be saved. This isn't fair. So they were insisting both the halakhic legal Jews and these proselytes were insisting that Gentiles must go through conversion to be saved in this life and in the world to come. Olam haba. Let's take a look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. Therefore, you are without excuse, O man, every one of you who is judging. For by whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who practice such things is based on truth. But you, O man, judging those practicing such things, yet doing the same, do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you belittle the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? The proselytes, of which there were many in Rome, they put their faith in their newfound Jewishness. Though they were following the Messiah Yeshua, their faith, their hope, everything, they were putting it in their Jewishness. In their Jewishness. And so... They ignored the rest of Torah. And then they judged people who were outside the faith for breaking Torah. He's calling these people out for being hypocrites, picking and choosing what they obey and judging others by the whole of Torah, forgetting that they too are supposed to seek to obey the Torah by faith and love in Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God. This is the same the same many that are accused of in the modern church, okay? That was a really weird sentence. But this is the same thing that many are accused of in the modern church. So they're like, hey, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I was baptized. You need to stop having sex outside of marriage. Well, I don't have to worry about obeying obeying God's law because I'm a Christian. I'm saved by grace, but you, you need to stop sinning and start going to church. 
How dumb do we sound when we say things like that? Holding those outside of the faith accountable to the Torah when we're not observing it ourselves. That's not how that's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be used as a hammer to beat those who are not of the faith over the head with. It's supposed to be a mirror that we look at so we can see how we are supposed to be living. Again, Paul is not instituting some new teaching here saying being of the works of the law or relying on the deeds of the Torah makes you accursed. That's not what he's saying here. He is saying, regardless of your affiliation with the Jewish community, the Torah is still the Torah of God. The blessings and the curses are there. And you are not absolved of remaining faithful to God's law because you are Jewish. And the same is true for Christians. We are not free from seeking to observe the Torah because we are Christians. We have our example of how to live. The Messiah, Yeshua, who was faithful and obedient to all points of the Torah. Personal devotion to Hashem through Yeshua. The daily pursuit of God through prayer and the study of his word, living a life of righteousness, which is spelled out in his Torah, a life of faith, love, and obedience to God. Personal devotion cannot be overshadowed or mitigated by one's institutional status. It cannot happen. But that's what so many do. They put that institutional status up front and center, and that's all that matters. But no, no, when we know how much God loves us, when we realize the price he paid for us, it should be the great yearning and desire of our hearts to honor him and to live as he has called us to do in obedience to him, his word. Think of what Isaiah said in chapter 29, verse 13. So Adonai says, since these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, yet their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a mitzvah taught by men. Adonai wants our hearts, people, not just an outward show of something, not just checking boxes and lip service. Let's go. Let's take a look at more from Isaiah chapter one, starting at verse 11. For what is it to me, the multitude of your sacrifices, says Adonai? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and fat of fed animals. I have no delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or he goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand? Trampling my courts? Bring no more worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Shabbat, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure it. Iniquity with solemn assembly? Your new moons and your festivals, my soul hates. They are a burden to me. I am weary to bear them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When you multiply your prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So, some take this. And these verses, and they try to say, see, God doesn't want his people honoring the Sabbath, doing that new moon stuff or feast days. God doesn't want any of that stuff. See, he says he hates that stuff. May it never be. 
He was calling out his people for what they turned his appointed times into. These are the appointed times of the Lord. These are Moedim. These are feasts of the Lord. The people were going through the motions, giving lip service. They were no longer examining their hearts. They're just going through the motions. And they were bringing their own iniquity into solemn assemblies. That is what Adonai hates. They're coming and trying to pretend everything is all good and okay. And their hands are full of blood. God have mercy. So we know that there are Sunday Christians in the same way that there are Sabbath Jews and even Sabbath Messianics. Hashem does not want our pious Sabbath prayers unless we are devoted to him the other six days of the week. The blessings of obedience to the commands of Adonai and the curses of infidelity remain. Paul called out people for putting the requirement of converting to be Jewish, putting the emphasis on being Jewish and putting that on Gentile God-fearers, saying that if they seek to follow the God of Israel through Messiah Yeshua, that is enough. That is what the Apostle Paul said. They did not need to become Jewish. And he was also reminding those who were Jewish by birth or conversion that that is not enough. It is about faith in the God of Israel through the Messiah Yeshua. As always, please dig in, study to show yourselves approved of God, and don't just take my word for anything. Dig into the scriptures, please. Now, I want to continue discussing this brief passage because there's another curse to address. So we'll go back to Galatians chapter 10, and we're going to read through verse 14. For all who rely on the deeds of Torah are under a curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not keep doing everything written in the scroll of the Torah. It is clear that no one is set right by God, no one is set right before God by Torah, for the righteous shall live by emunah, faith. However, Torah is not based on trust and faithfulness. On the contrary, the one who does these things shall live by them. Messiah liberated us from Torah's curse, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that through Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So we might receive the promise of the Ruach, the Spirit, through trusting faith. So we go through that and we see cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23. So let's jump there and take a look at what he's talking about. Suppose a man is guilty of a sin with a death sentence and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree. His body is not to remain all night on the tree. Instead, you must certainly bury him the same day. For anyone hanged is a curse of God. You must not defile your land that Adonai your God is giving you as an inheritance. So we can see here um, a few things. One, one thing, I guess, that is very noteworthy. His body is not to remain all night on the tree. And this this. If you recall, when Yeshua was crucified, this is why 
he and even the two lawless men who were crucified alongside him, that they were, it, it was ensured that they were dead. The the legs were broken of the two lawless men and uh, Yeshua, they saw that he was dead, but they pierced his side with the spear and then blood and water flowed out, if you recall. And this was so they could be buried before sunset, which is exactly what this is saying here. And they were, and they were heading into a high Shabbat also, Sabbath. So the Hebrew word that is used for hanged in this passage is the word talui. This was a common name used to refer to Yeshua, mostly in a contemptuous and unflattering way. Talui. This description was used and still used by many anti-missionaries, those who deny Yeshua is the Messiah, and they cite this passage in Deuteronomy in an attempt to invalidate his Messiahship. It's very likely that this reference was used even in the first century to convince people not to listen to the disciples of Yeshua. Don't listen to them because they are following this man who was Talui, the hanged one, And because he was a hanged one, he is cursed of God. More specifically, of course, he was not just the hanged one. He was the crucified one. But thus, again, they would use this to justify and say, see, he is cursed of God. And they would reason that is why he he is not the Messiah. So I don't think it's a stretch at all that Shaul of Tarsus When he persecuted the church, he used this very passage to condemn and convict Yeshua followers. Talui is cursed of God. Shaul of Tarsus, after his encounter with Yeshua on his way to Damascus to go arrest more Yeshua followers, Shaul becomes known as the Apostle Paul. And I think that it is no coincidence that he cites the Deuteronomy passage that he most likely used to condemn disciples of Yeshua. And now he is using it to actually confirm Yeshua is, in fact, the Messiah of God. This is kind of a bit of a side note, but I think we should take a look. We're going to look at that passage again. Suppose a man is guilty of a sin with a death sentence and he is put to death. And you hang him on a tree. His body is not to remain all night on the tree. Instead, you must certainly bury him the same day. For anyone hanged is a curse of God. You must not defile your land that Adonai your God is giving you as an inheritance. So crucifixion was not a Jewish form of punishment. Not at all. And uh, it even it actually would uh, it would break Torah for it to, for someone to crucify, uh, for a Jew to crucify another Jew. So look at the wording here. Suppose a man is guilty of a sin with a death sentence and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree. See, the example that's given here is the man is put to death and then hung on a tree as a warning to others, as a deterrent for others so that they don't do whatever this person had done. 
Displaying bodies like this was a common practice by many cultures in ancient times for that very purpose of as a deterrent. So we note that the command to bury the body before sunset, and that is, that is something that's already prescribed in Torah, that, that a body must be buried before the sun sets. And uh, it is reinforced here. So if you ever do hang someone on a tree in this way, after they've been executed and you hang them on a tree in this way, you must bury him the same day. He's not to remain overnight. This is to treat the body with dignity. For even though the individual committed a sin or crime worthy of death, man is created in the image and likeness of the living God. And so to leave a body on display is a sacrilege to God. And as far as someone being executed and then placed on a tree, um, if you look in the book of Esther, in Esther chapter 7, you'll read that they, there were um, 500 who were followers of Haman. First, Haman was executed, and then 500 of his followers, including his 10 sons, were all killed because they were in on the plot. They wanted to destroy all the Jews. And so Haman and 500 of his followers, including his 10 sons, were killed. After all that is spelled out, then Esther says, she wants them hanged. So she wanted their bodies put up as a reminder to everyone. So anyway, you can, you can check that out. Esther chapter seven. So there's a Jewish parable that explains this situation a little bit further as far as the, uh, the displaying on a tree and then the burial before sunset. And it is like there were two, there were identical twin brothers one grew up to be a king, the other a thief. When the thief was caught and executed, he was then hung on a tree. Many onlookers declared, the king has been executed. The king has been executed. It was so ordered, the body of his twin brother removed and buried to avoid disrespect to the righteous king. Man is created in the image and likeness of God. This is why Jews are so very cautious and respectful with the bodies of those who die, even those who were executed. This is why also they refuse cremation. They care for the body because they know the bodily resurrection is coming. One more look at Deuteronomy 21. Verses 22 and 23. Suppose a man is guilty of a sin with a death sentence and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree. His body is not to remain all night on the tree. Instead, you must certainly bury him the same day for anyone hanged is a curse of God. You must not defile your land that Adonai your God is giving you as an inheritance. There's an important piece of these verses that those who use this to create doubt or denial of Yeshua as Messiah absolutely must face. Those who call him Tolui and accursed of God. Verse 22 says, suppose a man is guilty of a sin with a death sentence. And then it goes on. There's the qualifier for all of the rest of this stuff. A man who is guilty of a sin with a death sentence. Yeshua 
was not guilty of any sin. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yeshua kept, obeyed all of Torah. He did not earn condemnation. The curse he became for us was our accursedness. He took it upon himself. We are the ones guilty of sin, worthy of death, and to be put on display on a tree with a titulus hanging around our necks, a sign posting and listing our sins and crimes. He is not accursed of God. And what did the, the titulus, the sign say that was pl- placed above his head on, on uh, the crucifix? Here is Yeshua of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. A point, and this is, uh, again, the fact that Yeshua is not accursed of God is a point that the Apostle Paul brings out in his first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse uh, 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, says, Yeshua, be, be cursed. And no one can say Yeshua is Lord except the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, except by the Ruach HaKodesh. So no one speaking by the Spirit of Elohim can say Yeshua be, be cursed. And I believe that Paul is even condemning what he used to say, that Yeshua is Talui. Because by the Spirit of God, no one can say such a thing. And after his encounter with Yeshua, he then became filled with the Spirit of God. And he could not say that anymore. Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the deeds of Torah. Not meaning that we are liberated from obedience to the Torah, but from the curse of disobeying Torah. The curse is condemnation. It is death in this life and exclusion from the resurrection of the righteous and the coming kingdom. So, eternal death. Yeshua became the sin offering one time for all, as we read in the letter to the Hebrews. He did not earn condemnation. He took the curse of our condemnation. Therefore, as Romans 8 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. For the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what was impossible for the Torah, since it was weakened on account of the flesh, God has done. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Yeshua redeems us from the curse of breaking the law, lawlessness, sin. He does not redeem us from the law of God. And we see that the law, the Torah, was not itself weak. What made it weak? It was weakened on the account of the flesh. Those who walk and live in the flesh. So the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What requirement? The requirement of of the sin offering. 
the offering that had to be that had to be made when one sinned that requirement has been fulfilled by yeshua and let's jump down to verse 7 and see something here for the mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit itself to the law of God, for it cannot. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if the mindset, and Paul is making this contrast here, right? The, 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 uh, those who live by the Spirit, they are spiritually minded, or those who live by the flesh. He's making this contrast. So if the mindset of the flesh does not submit itself to the law of God, the Torah, What then does the mindset of those who walk in the Spirit do? Submit itself to the Torah of God in faith and love, which pleases God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God because they don't submit to the law of God. Those who are in the Spirit, hallelujah. He has written his law on our hearts. He has put it on our minds that we can live it. And again, one cursed of God who is guilty of a sin worthy of death. It's not just physical death that's being talked about there. It is eternal death, exclusion from the resurrection of the righteous and the kingdom, which is to come the messianic kingdom. Yeshua declared himself to be the resurrection and the life in him is the bodily resurrection and resurrection and eternal life in his kingdom he proved that he is the resurrection when he was raised from death after 3 days and nights in the tomb breaking the curse of sin which is what what is the curse of sin it is death physical and spiritual he broke that curse yeshua took the torah's condemnation of others Upon himself, for his people Israel, the Jews, and for the Gentiles, the nations, who had no hope at all, being strangers of the covenants and promises, not a part of the commonwealth of Israel, without God and without hope, but now through Messiah Yeshua, we can be grafted into the commonwealth. Hallelujah. We have to rely on the faithfulness of Yeshua and the favor that he found in the eyes of Hashem, the Father. And I know that no matter what I do, how good I think I am being, how good I think I'm doing at obeying and following the Torah of God, I know that I will never earn or merit God's favor. My confidence and assurance are that my accursedness has been paid for by the hanged one, Yeshua, blessed be he. My striving is hopeless. And if it was all about my obedience and my righteousness, I I would have given up a long time ago. What would be the point? I'm so far behind already. How can I catch up? It's overwhelming knowing that Yeshua paid for my sin and lawlessness. That gives me the hope to continue seeking to obey my God and King. Without him, I am without hope. Without him, I am nothing. I want to thank you for your time, and I hope that this has blessed you. 
Um, I'm just a beggar. I found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, and I want others to know where this bread may be found. As always, study to show yourself approved of God. The Torah, God's law, is not a curse. It is his love letter to his children, telling them how his people are to live. I love you. And these are the things that if you do these things, you will be blessed. And we do these things to bring honor and glory to him and to reflect his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness to those around us. So let's go out and give him heaven. Shalom. Shalom.